Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Course Aviation fourth quarter and year-end results conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during this session, you'll need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to turn the call over to Natalie McGinn, Vice President, Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, Denise. Hello, and thank you for joining us today for our fourth quarter and year-end 2020 conference call and audio webcast. With me today from Chorus are Joe Randall, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Gary Osborne, Chief Financial Officer. We'll start by giving a brief overview of the results and then go on to questions from the analyst community. Because some of the discussion in this call may be forward-looking, I direct your attention to the caution regarding forward, forward-looking information and statements, which are subject to various risks and uncertainties and assumptions that are included or referenced in our management discussion and analysis of the results and operations of Course Aviation, Inc. for the year ended December 31, 2020. The Outlook section and other sections of our MD&A where such statements appear. In addition, some of the following discussion involves certain non-GAAP financial measures, including references to EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA, adjusted EBT, and adjusted net income. Please refer to our MD&A for a discussion related to the use of such non-GAAP measures. I'll now turn the call over to Joe Randall. Thank you, Natalie, and good morning, everyone. It's remarkable the difference a year can make. One can't help but to reflect and compare how dramatically our business has changed in the last 12 months. 2019 was an outstanding year and we were poised for significant growth and diversification in 2020, having started the year from our strongest position in our history. However, the COVID-19 crisis forced us to quickly pivot our strategy from offense to defense, from organic growth to one of building liquidity and protecting the balance sheet. The crisis brought a deep global reduction in passenger demand and onerous travel restrictions, imposing significant financial hardship on our customers and dramatically reducing our CPA operations. Nevertheless, the resiliency of our business model and the dedication of our team delivered respectful respectable financial performance despite these unprecedented challenges. Year over year, adjusted EBITDA of $347 million was relatively consistent due primarily to the fixed fee nature of our contract with Air Canada and modest growth in regional aircraft leasing revenue. We are one of the few operators reporting positive returns having concluded the 2020 fiscal year with $0.26 cents in net earnings per basic share or $0.40 on an adjusted basis. We closed 2020 with approximately $200 million in liquidity, and we anticipate this to be relatively stable for the balance of this year. Preserving liquidity remains a priority given the duration and ultimate impact of the pandemic on our industry are unknown. We understand that the financial losses airlines are incurring are not sustainable in the long term. We continue to work with Air Canada and our leasing customers to help them manage the economic pressures they are facing as a consequence of the sustained reduction in demand for passenger air travel. We are confident that air travel will return, but given the uncertainty of when, we continue to take the steps necessary to protect the company. But there have been some bright spots. We are encouraged by the incremental increases in aircraft utilization and leasing revenue collected in the leasing segment. In the fourth quarter, we collected approximately 60% of the revenue billed in that period, a 10 percentage point increase over the third quarter. We continue to monitor our portfolio of lessees and are in active discussions to remarket the 13 aircraft that have been returned. This has been challenging in this environment. 
We were very pleased to have delivered the final two of five new Airbus A220 aircraft to Aeropolitik of Latvia in the fourth quarter. Voyager was successful in securing contract extensions with the United Nations for four CRJ-200 aircraft and won the competitive bid for a new five-year contract with Ambulance New Brunswick. This milestone extends our 25-year relationship with the province, a wonderful testament to the expertise of our team. In the latter part of December, we took delivery of five new CRJ-900s, bringing the total to eight new aircraft earning leasing revenue under the CPA in 2020. And we received the ninth aircraft last week. While we only operated approximately 35% of the capacity we flew in the same period last year, our fixed fee compensation under the CPA was unaffected by the significant reduction in flying activity. As a result of service cancellations across Air Canada's network, many of our smaller and regional communities are without air service, and over half of our employees remain on inactive status. We've been We've been advocating for our industry with key government stakeholders so as to ensure the sustainability of regional aviation services is top of mind when making policy decisions. Aviation in Canada needs sector support and urgently needs attention from government. Our stakeholders are being challenged by the uncertainty surrounding future services. We look forward to resuming service and providing critical links to the rest of Canada and the world through the Air Canada network and we are eager to do so. I'm hopeful our government will soon introduce its plan to assist our vital industry, given its importance to the transportation infrastructure, social fabric, and economic recovery of Canada. I continue to be amazed by the resolve of our team, and I sincerely thank our employees for doing all possible to maintain the safety and integrity of our operations. For the near term, we'll continue to focus on this while preserving liquidity and supporting our customers. <clears throat> Before I turn the call over to Gary, I wanted to touch on the preliminary acquisition proposal we received last October. While that proposal is no longer being considered, we are having discussions with the same party regarding a potential investment. While I understand many of you may have questions regarding this, due to the contractual and confidential considerations, I can't provide more color on this dialogue at this time, and naturally, we will update the market should a material transaction be realized. Thank you very much for your time, and I'll now pass the line over to Gary. <coughs> Thank you, Joe, and good morning. In line with Joe's commentary, there has, been, there has been an incredibly challenging year in which we saw the industry reduced to a fraction of its 2019 operating levels. Even with this, Chorus was able to achieve positive cash from operations net income and EBITDA, ending the year with over $200 million in liquidity. The results are a testament to our business model, strong partnerships with customers, including Air Canada, and the de dedication of all our employees, including those on inactive status awaiting their return. Our first fourth quarter adjusted EBITDA was $82 million, a $6.7 million decrease over fourth quarter 2019. Adjusted net income was $7.7 million, a $15.6 million decrease over last year, which led to a decrease in adjusted EPS at $0.05 cents versus $0.15 cents last year. Here's how the fourth quarter of this year compares to 2019. The regional aircraft leasing segment's adjusted EBITDA decreased by $7.8 million, primarily due to a $3.6 million expected credit loss provision and lower lease margins attributable to 13 off-lease aircraft. Due to the impact of COVID-19, the non-cash general aircraft impairment provision of $41.6 million and $0.5 million for lease repossession costs were added back to adjusted EBITDA. The general aircraft impairment provision was a result of the combination of a drop in current market values, a general assessment of our leases, and carrying values of the related assets. Adjusted EBITDA for the regional aviation services segment increased by $1.1 million. The results were impacted by decreased in, uh, a decrease in stock-based compensation, an increase in aircraft leasing under the CPA, a decrease in general administrative expenses, 
offset by a decrease in capitalization of major maintenance overhauls on owned aircraft operated under the CBA, a reduction in other revenue, and an expected credit loss provision. Adjusted net income was $7.7 million for the quarter, a decrease of $15.6 million due to the previously mentioned $6.7 million decrease in adjusted EBITDA, an increase in depreciation of $3 million primarily related to additional aircraft, an increase in net interest costs of $3.8 million primarily related to the new credit facilities for general operating purposes and additional aircraft debt, and an increase of $6 million in realized and unrealized foreign exchange, offset by $3.5 million decrease in adjusted income tax expense. Net income decreased $27.4 million, primarily due to the previously noted decrease in adjusted net income of $15.6 million, a general aircraft provision of $41.6 million, offset by the change in net unrealized foreign exchange on long-term debt of $25.3 million, and tax recovery on adjusted items of $5.8 million. For the year 2020, CORUS reported adjusted EBITDA of $347.5 million, an increase of $5.7 million over 2019. Adjusted EBITDA for the regional aircraft leasing segment increased by $12.9 million, primarily due to the additional aircraft earning leasing revenue, partially offset by the allowance for adjusted or sorry for expected credit loss provision of $8.8 million, and lower lease margins attributable to off-lease aircraft. The regional aviation services segment adjusted EBITDA decreased by $7.2 million and, and was impacted by a reduction in other revenue due to a decrease in third-party MRO activity, reduced part sales, and reduced contract flying, a decrease in capitalization of major maintenance overhauls on owned aircraft operated under the CBA of $5.9 million, an expected credit loss provision of $1.5 million, partially offset by a decrease in stock-based compensation of $9.3 million due to the change in share price, inclusive of the change in fair value of the total return swap. An increase in aircraft leasing under the CPA, primarily related to additional revenue of $9.9 million earned from two incremental Dash 8300s and eight incremental CRJ900s in 2020 versus 2019, and a decrease in general administrative expenses. Adjusted net income was $64 million, a decrease over 2019 of $30.9 million, primarily due to an increase in depreciation of $19.2 million related to additional aircraft, an increase in net interest costs of $19 million related to additional aircraft debt, the 5.75% unsecured debentures added in December 2019, and new credit facilities. An increase of $6.9 million in realized foreign exchange and unrealized foreign exchange losses, partially offset by a $5.7 million increase in adjusted EBITDA as previously described, and a decrease in the adjusted income tax expense of $9.3 million. Net income decreased $91.7 million over 2019, primarily due to the general aircraft impairment of $68.2 million, a decrease of $30.9 million in adjusted net income, $3.2 million on lease repossession costs, an increase in employee separation program costs of $2.5 million, offset by tax recovery on adjusted items of $10.3 million. Now turning to liquidity. We ended 2020 with approximately $200 million in liquidity, a decrease from the third quarter of approximately $17 million, primarily due to the equity funding on two previously committed A22300s acquired in the fourth quarter, as well as working capital requirements. We generated strong cash from operations of $56.8 million. Key items that impacted our overall liquidity in the quarter included an increased receivable from Air Canada of $28.4 million, primarily related to increased flying and other activity, increased CAC receivables of $8.4 million, decreased cash of $34.4 million due to uh, repayment of long-term borrowing, and decreased cash of $33.1 million, primarily due to the acquisition of two A22300 aircraft net of financing. In the fourth quarter, CORUS also successfully negotiated the terms of certain of its debt facilities by extending existing repayment terms, all of which are, is further described in our MD, MDNA. In summary, we amended the following. Increased the term 
$1.0 period of the $100 million U.S. unsecured revolving credit facility to replace a bullet payment due in April 2022 with repayment over eight equal installments of principal and interest starting in July 2022. It increased the term of the loan deferral pro- program repayment by le- lengthening the repayment period from 12 to 18 months beginning in January 21. The balance deferred as of December 2020 was $28.9 million U.S. Amended the terms of certain of its aircraft loans to remove the remarketing period deadline for aircraft repossessed up to April 24, 2021. This eliminates the requirement to repay the principal amount of the loans prior to maturity if the aircraft are not released by the end of the remarketing period and course remains in compliance with the relevant loan conditions. We currently expect liquidity to be relatively stable to the end of this year as we continue with measures to manage it, including the continuation of the reduction of non-essential capital expenditures and overhead costs. As Joe mentioned, we collected approximately 60% of lease revenue billed in the fourth quarter from our lessees, excluding repossessed aircraft, a 10 percentage point improvement over the third quarter of 2020. Planned capital expenditures in 2021, including capital, capitalized major maintenance overhauls, are estimated to be between 32 and 38 million. This estimate includes 18.4 million that will be included in controllable costs. Planned aircraft-related acquisitions are expected to be between 100 and 110 million in 2021. These deliveries are subject to securing financing and certain closing terms. That concludes my commentary. Thank you for listening. Operator, we can open the, the call to questions from the analyst community when you are ready. Thanks. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, to ask a question, please press star the number one on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for just a moment at the Palace Q&A roster. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Your first question comes from David Ocampo with Cormark Securities. Your line is open. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. So it's pretty good to see the remarketing period get eliminated. Um, but it, the commentary is that it's for all planes up to April 24, 2021. So do you expect to see or do you see any major concerns with your customers right now where you may have to repossess other aircraft? I was just trying to get a sense on why that's, that date is two months out. So just on the remark that uh, April 24th date, that relates to our largest lender, uh, EDC. So that remarketing period uh, has been eliminated for up to that date for anything repossessed. So you can see that in the outlook section of the NDNA. And then as far as the lessees, we actively monitor all our lessees. And, uh, you know, we, we have Aeromexico that's continuing to go through its bankruptcy process, and we're, we're optimistic uh, throughout that piece. And then we continue to monitor others uh, across the globe. And, uh, you know, as far as the, the lessees go, it, it's an ongoing and it's a, a very fluid situation. Yeah, we're monitoring everybody very closely. And, you know, I'd say we certainly don't see anything near term. Uh, but again, we're in a difficult environment. I, I would add, though, that uh, you know we have 13 airplanes off lease, and we are in active discussions uh, presently with a number of parties with respect to those airplanes, and certainly feel more optimistic this quarter than we did at the end of the last uh, about being able to uh, to uh, position those aircraft with other operators. But again, uh, nothing firm at this point, but uh, we're seeing some positive signs. Yeah, and Joe, you just took my next question, but maybe to build on that, like how, how are the discussions with, with customers? Are lease rates coming down quite dramatically from what you're seeing? And are, and are there a lot of other regional aircraft that are that are hitting the market that you have to compete against? Uh, where there are quite a number of airplanes available in every of every type out there. Um, you know, if you look at the values today, on used airplanes, uh, both their, their current market values 
and the lease costs and that sort of thing, they're down quite substantially uh, year over year, depending on which publication you look at. You can see indications of 30%. Uh, it's not unusual, et cetera. So, um, you know, when th these are the things we're dealing with in the near term. I think we're optimistic. We're going to see that start to come around as uh, as COVID starts to, uh, the effect of COVID starts to decline. And uh, the other good thing we're seeing is increased utilization of our fleet that we have out there. And this is consistent with what we've said before, that the domestic and short-haul markets will be the first to come back. Um, and I think that's generally accepted in the industry. So we are seeing that. And uh, we're seeing good utilization rates in, um, in other parts of the world um, on the fleet, including in Asia and Africa and also um, in South America. So, um, you know, sort of steady as it goes, but, uh, you know, certainly feeling that the flying is up, um, you know, we're collecting more of our receivables, et cetera. We're heading in the right direction, but how long, and as I've said in my commentary, how deep is yet to be determined. So, Joe, on that, have you noticed an uptick from the 60% of, of lease revenue that you guys have collected, or is that, can we assume that that's going to remain flat for, for the Q1? Yeah, we're not seeing a significant change from that at this point, uh, but, uh, you know, we're, we'll continue to monitor it. Again, we're working with several customers, and as they come back and the flying increase increases, uh, you know, we hope and expect to see some some increase in that regard. There is sometimes a little bit of a lag um, as people come back, um, you know, because obviously, uh, you know, in some cases, fares are lower, uh, et cetera. So, and, um, you know, operators are digging themselves out of a, of a rut that, uh, you know, was created uh, over 2020. That's helpful. I'll, I'll hand the call over. Thanks. <clears throat> Your next question comes from Tim James of TD Securities. Your line is open. Uh, thanks, and good morning. Um, just sure. looking at your uh, expectations for the uh, the controllable cost guardrail receivable at the end of the first quarter, it's a fairly wide range uh, relative to what you provided uh, in your Q3 report for the end of the year. Is there any particular reason why um, there, there's a, a fairly wide wide range on that expectation for the end of the first quarter? So that, that is actually, uh, is it, as it pertains for uh, the end of 2021. So that's why you see that wide range. And Tim, it's really gonna depend on uh, how things work out in the operation. We also have to sit down with our uh, customer at AirCan and, and try to set some rates here uh, coming up. So that is difficult in this environment, but that's giving you a range for the entire year. So in the first part of the year, we'd expect to be in the, you know, the lower part of that range. And then as the year progresses towards the, the higher end of that range. Uh, okay. Okay. That, that, that's helpful. That makes sense. Um, then your CapEx plans for 2021 of, uh, of 100 to 110 million. This is obviously non-maintenance CapEx. Um, it just it seemed a little high to me when I think about sort of the aircraft that are being acquired and, and taking into account there's a little bit in there for the, the ESP. I'm, I'm just wondering, am I underestimating the cost of those air assets likely, or, or is there something else included in there that isn't sort of specifically called out? Yeah, we have probably somewhere between 10 and 20 million as a general provision in case we need to do any aircraft imp uh, improvements. So it's just a, it's an overlook at this stage. Okay, okay. Um, then I, I'm just wondering, and I'm not sure if you can provide any color on that, but the report cites uh, that you know, prior to the, the pandemic, Chorus was providing Air Canada uh, or providing uh, about 80% of the Air Canada Express capacity. What would that value have been? Can you give us a sense in, in 2020 what that percentage of capacity would have changed to, if, if at all? Um, you know, I think it's probably fair to say it wouldn't have changed, would have, you know, remained proportionate through that period of time. Um, you know, the two carriers providing the capacity would be ourselves and Sky Regional, and both of us and both ourselves and Sky are flying uh, these days. So uh, I don't think there's much of a material difference there. Okay, uh, thank you. That's all the questions I had. Okay. <laughs> 
Your next question comes from Konark Gupta with so so sorry, Scotia Capital. Your line is open. Uh, good morning, and thanks, everyone. Uh, just uh, wanted to first start off on uh, the liquidity argument. Uh, so you, you guys are expecting a liquidity to be more or less kind of stable throughout the year. I'm just curious if you can provide any uh, cadence for, for that. As in, do you expect uh, some initial uh, liquidity decline in the first half and, and then it rebounds or, or it's the other way? And then does it reflect, your assumption reflects any external financing or, or the sectoral support from the government? Okay. So, um, you know, as far as, far as the uh, liquidity goes, you know, we would expect in the first part of the year to, you know, have a little bit of pressure. Traditionally, if you look back, it's it's one of our worst uh, uh, quarters, Q1, on working capital, but we still don't see a meaningful uh, reduction from that level. And then as you go through Q2 and Q3, it improves, and then Q4, you kind of slide, you know, back a bit. So it'll be plus or minus a little bit from, from that projection uh, throughout the uh, throughout the course of the year. And uh, sorry, there was another part so of I, I think it related to uh, assumptions, perhaps on government or sector, sectorial support. And, yeah, uh, sectoral support seen... and any external external financing uh, you plan to raise in that liquidity assumption. So we, we do we do assume that we would raise around 70% uh, on those aircraft financing from that. That's a very typical assumption we have, but we do not assume any level of government assistance in, in, in that. Okay, uh, just a reminder: anything that anything that we get under the SUS program flows back to Air Canada, so it doesn't directly flow to us. Yeah, you're right. We, you so, know, we're we feel that the sectorial support is very important, but of course, given the fact that we're a contract flyer for Air Canada, we're certainly hopeful that Air Canada will be assisted in looking to uh, you know reinstate and provide services uh, as the market comes back up. And uh, so that that discussion is very important to us. No, absolutely. So maybe just a clarification on the cost guardrail. Uh, is it is, if the government sectoral support comes in, uh, will it impact the cost guardrail receivable uh, by by any any magnitude? It, it will depend. Uh, you know, it's kind of hard to speculate, but the way it works under the CPA is if we get a reduction of cost net through the the government programs, it flows back as part of that. Uh, guardrail process, so um, you know you can expect that it would make its way back through our Canada. It could uh, reduce our guardrail, or it could uh, increase it depending on if it was overly negative. But um, it would generally be positive. Makes sense. Perfect. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, um, okay. Thanks. Yeah. And then on the on the gro uh, gross uh, lease receivable at CAC. Um, if, if I'm understanding correctly, uh, just making sure, uh, you, you have been collecting less than 100% of your leases, obviously. Uh, so as you collect less than 100%, you bill your receivable, and then you start uh, collecting some of the previous receivables, I guess, right, as, as those uh, you know payments come to you. Um, how should we think about this, uh, this liability item or this asset item uh, re gross lease receivable? Should it increase as you go throughout the year, as you obviously collect less than 100% minus the payments you receive, or how should we think about it? No, if you go to our disclosure, we expect it to remain fairly constant to the end of the year. We're not seeing a major change. And it's really, as you alluded to, we are going to receive some of the deferral payments back from uh, the customers, so what they've, uh, you know, we put in the receivable, and then there could be some amounts that interchange uh, there. So uh, we see it as being pretty flat to the end of the year. Thanks, Eric, for that. Um, and for uh, CapEx, uh, is there any timing uh, for CapEx where you, in, in any particular quarter which is uh, heavy on CapEx? I, I think you could say Q1 will probably be lighter than most uh, coming through here. Uh, the two aircraft that were with the undisclosed customers still under negotiation in that. So, you know, that's uh, uh, not something that's imminent right now, but that could change. And as far as the maintenance capex, I think you would see that start to spool up as the operation starts to spool up. So, okay, thank you. Um, and with respect to a remarketing discussion, Joe, I'm curious if you if you can help us here. Um, like you have been sitting with the 13 aircraft for for some time, obviously now, and then uh, hopefully the vaccine kind of you know brings in some some recovery for the industry. Uh, here, what are the early discussions like with your customers? Uh, are they interest, interested in in these 13 or some of these 13 aircraft you have, 
or they are looking for some other kind of aircraft type? And uh, what is sort of the timing uh, discussion that's happening at this point? Is it like late 21 or early 2022 at this point? No, we're, we're um, you know, these customers are actively considering the aircraft that we have off lease. Um, you know, and we, we have not been out actively marketing, marketing an increase in our business due to our focus on liquidity over the year. So, um, you know, we've been, we've been focused on remarketing those airplanes. Aside, I think there are a couple of aircraft there that we may potentially do. Um, and, um, you know, and so there are operators that are looking at getting back up here. And, and um, so uh, the timing is, is to be determined, but certainly, um, you know, we're hopeful that uh, throughout this year, you'll see quite a number of those 13 airplanes start to be released and put back in operation with uh, with customers. That's great. Uh, and then last one for me before I turn it over. Um, the stock-based comp uh, in Q1 last year, I, I think it dropped because the stock price dropped. Um, I was just curious, uh, like given where you are right now on the share price and the total return swap you have, uh, do you expect uh, the second, the Q1 of this year, uh, the the stock-based comp be uh, flat or, or down from last year? Uh, it, well, it, it should be flat. We put the uh, as far as the total expense year over year. I'd, I'd have to look at that, but with the total return swap, essentially when we put it in place, it locks in a very flat number, so it's constant. And through 2020, it was a relatively constant number, so you shouldn't see a lot of fluctuation in 21 year over year. Perfect. Uh, that's it for me. Thank you so much. Yeah. Your next question comes from Walter Spracklin with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Good morning, everyone. Hi, Walter. Good morning. So um, there's a lot of, uh, obviously, uh, stranded capacity on the uh, belly space of aircraft that were flying and now, now grounded internationally. And I noticed that you got a nice renewal with Voyager. I'm just curious as to whether there's any potential to repurpose aircraft either temporary, temporarily or longer term if, as, as many expect, uh, this stays, you know, constrained for some time. And, and can Voyager aircraft be repurposed or can you, can, can you look to uh, do a strategy pivot here to include uh, a cargo element to, to, to Voyager or to Chorus? Yeah, uh, you know, it's a very, it's a very good question. We have uh, repurposed uh, a few Dash 8 100s uh, into package freighters, and these aircraft, in some cases, we lease them as a dry lease, and in others, we operate on a contract uh, with Voyager, um, and we are actually using um, aircraft as well that are not entirely converted. So we've been growing. It's still relatively small, though, um, but uh, it is an area of focus for Voyager, and we do have quite a number of assets that we can repurpose here, um, and we have the expertise and the know-how and to to do the change in North Bay. So, um, so that's uh, that's a, a very good interest to us, and um, you know, I'm hoping that over the next couple of months we'll have more to say with respect to uh, to cargo and um, and how we're how we're doing and what our plans are there. Okay, that's great. Um, you mentioned, and you're absolutely right. I, I believe that you know certainly shorter haul will come back uh, quicker than longer haul. And you mentioned some uh, indicators that you follow um, that suggest that that is occurring. Can you give us some hard numbers on that by any chance, or perhaps offline give give us some indication of what you follow, just so we can. You know, follow it along with you and and, and kind of gauge that uh, uh, gauge that that trend because I think it is a trend that a lot of your investors are very much focused on. It's part of their investment thesis. So any 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 uh, specific um, uh, proof of that would be would be very helpful. Yeah, um, you know, we have stats that we can provide you. There are a number of industry publications, and uh, of course, we monitor the utilization on our own fleet by aircraft by month. And uh, so we're watching that very quick, uh, very closely with each of the operators. And, uh, you know, and we've seen, as I said, positive signs there and that sort of thing. But uh, if we can just take that offline. I don't have the specific publications with me right now, but we can certainly provide you with, uh, 
with some indication as to where you can find some of this information. Yeah, and, and really I was referring to what you were just referencing, Joe, the, 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 your, uh, your own utilization and if you, if you have the chance, again, offline just to give us, you know, when you said a positive indication, does that, you know, w w what would be the more quantitative um, uh, of that? But, but certainly we can take that offline, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah we, we, can, we can look at that for sure. But, um, you know, the other thing is, is that I think if you look at the percentage of our aircraft uh, that are with operators that are active, uh, it's a very, very high percentage, uh, which, is, which is itself, I think, a good sign in that, you know, of the aircraft that are still with operators, uh, very, very few are uh, very low utilization. They're, they're actually not too bad. Great. Um, in terms of the government talks, I know, you, you know, Air Canada are probably taking the lead on on this along with WestJet, but but you're you're you're, you're no doubt uh, closer to it than certainly we are. Um, the tone of Air Canada changed very dramatically in a matter of a couple of weeks from, from what I would say is, is fairly muted or even negative to, to very encouraged by the talks that they were having with uh, government as of, as of their last quarter call. Do you have any sense of how that, that's progressing from your perspective? Are you in talks with government as well, officials on, on potential aid packages? And do you concur with that assessment that it is encouraging, and, 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 and even since Air Canada's report, would you say that it, it continues to progress? How would you characterize it, Joe? Sure. Well, I can't really speak on behalf of Air Canada in those talks. Uh, however, you know, we have uh, ourselves been talking to a number of government uh, officials over the last number of months, and I think the, uh, it's fair to say that the level of engagement and discussion has improved um, from, from our point of view. And um, you know, and you know, there are some very senior people in Ottawa now involved with this. So um, you know, and we're encouraging them to uh, support the sector uh, for sure. Uh, there are a few things that we think are really important, and you know, and that's that we really need to get people back up in the air safely and people feeling safe about flying. And and uh, you know, um, I think rapid testing and adjusting quarantine periods, et cetera. But you know, it's a very difficult environment right now that we face um, to talk about some of those things, but our focus is in, on how you get back up here and what it looks like. So, um, so the focus is on that. The other thing is, um, you know, what we've been saying is that regional services have been under some financial stress for quite some time. Uh, and, you know, we've been in the regional business a long time. I've been in it for 40 years. And I can tell you that the download of government-imposed fees, charges from institutions is incredible in this country compared to the U.S. and others. Um, you know, we have all of these independent agencies now that have their own, um, own bottom lines to worry about. They're government institutions. It doesn't matter. It's NAV Canada, the airports, CATSA, um, you know, et cetera. And these institutions are all putting up their charges, and we see in other parts of the world when the market comes back, people want to be encouraged to fly and not have prohibitive fares facing them as they as they return to the air. So, uh, you know, our focus has been on uh, and saying to the government, uh, you know, the government really really needs to look at regional air transportation as an economic enabler and something that supports. Um, the transportation infrastructure within the country rather than being a, a cash cow. And these charges and these approaches have had over the years a very disproportionate effect on regional air transportation, and we've seen it happen. Um, so we did an example the other day where a $250 airfare in the U.S. Uh, attracts fees, uh, taxes, etc., about a 15% um, level. In Canada, the same fare uh, attracts about 37%. And now we're seeing increases of AIFs and NAV Canada fees of 25, 30%. And that's not helpful in terms of the return of air services. And, you know, and we've been saying as well that these communities require access 
into uh, a large network, into the world, rather than being isolated and, and not part of a, a larger network. So that's been our message. And, you know, we have thousands of employees um, laid off here, and it's really important. We're, we have the aircraft, we have the employees, we have, and we have the position in the market, we have the safety record and the quality of service that is required in these markets, and I think these markets need assistance in terms of how they get back up and how we reestablish regional air service within Canada. And that's been our message. Um, is it's about how do we get back up as an industry and start linking the country again the way it needs to be linked from a social and an economic perspective. Yeah, hopefully the silver lining from all this is that we do get a revamp in many of these fees as we start to get the airline industry back on its feet. Uh, appreciate the time as always, Joe. Okay, no problem. Your next question comes from Cameron Dirksen with uh, National Bank Financial. Your line is open. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, good morning. Good morning, Cameron. So I uh, just want to uh, come back to the, the, the 2020 cost guardrail number. I guess it was the $44 million. I'm just wondering when when that, I guess, that receivable is is collected. I guess my understanding was that would be cash that would be collected in in Q1, but uh, I may be wrong on that. So maybe if you can just sort of clarify when that that receivable comes in uh, as cash for you. That comes in in Q1, and uh, as of this moment, it's being collected. So. Okay. And for the 2021 cost guardrail, it'll be the same thing at the end of the year. You would, you would actually receive the cash yeah. in Q1 of 2022. It's always in Q1. Okay. You're okay. Correct. Perfect. Um, maybe a question on um, on sort of the, the nature of your, uh, I guess, discussions with Air Canada uh, these days. I mean, obviously, uh, I think, you know, they're, they're probably, as everybody in the industry is, has probably thinking that this crisis has gone on longer than most people would have expected a year ago. Um, and, and of course, Air Canada has continued to pay, um, you know, the leases uh, under the CPA. Uh, has there any been has there been any discussion about uh, you know Air Canada deferring some lease payments or any other adjustments to the CPA uh, at this point? I mean, uh, maybe you can just sort of discuss the nature of the, the discussions that you're having. Yeah, we continue to discuss with Air Canada ways of uh, of improving efficiency. Uh, helping them through this pandemic, uh, et cetera. And, you know, our partnership is very strong, and we've done a lot, and we will continue to do what we can and uh, to, to help and to be a good partner going forward. So, um, you know, we're, we discuss, have deep discussions on every aspect of our business, and uh, so and we will continue to do that. Um, and that's, um, I think that's the nature of our partnership. Okay, uh, fair enough. And just maybe a final one for me, uh, just as regards to the, I guess, remarketing of some of the aircraft in the, uh, the third-party leasing business. Uh, is the discussions that you're having with some of the, you know, potential, um, uh, you know, airlines, uh, are they more looking for sh short-term leases? Or maybe the better question is, would you, I assume you would probably prefer short-term leases given where lease rates are, and then hope three years down the road to to maybe release those aircraft again at you know once the once the industry is recovered. Is that kind of the way you're looking at it? Yeah, they're, well, they're a little all over the place. Uh, you know, the, uh, I guess the benefit of the short term is uh, you know the market may be better, but um, but there's a benefit to a long term lease as well in that you have this certainty of of uh, payment and a longer term customer, et cetera. So. Um, right now, we have, uh, I think, a variety of potentials here that we're talking about. So, um, um, you know, there's a there's a, a put in a take on whether it's short or long. Uh, so, it's in the end uh, something that works for us. Okay, so well, that's great. Uh, appreciate the time. Thank you. Your next question comes from Kevin Chang with CIBC. Your line is open. Thanks. Uh, thanks for taking my question, everybody. Hope everyone's having a, a good morning. Um, maybe just back on the government assistance stuff. You know, one of the things I think the government has has said as part of uh, you know the criteria would be like a public interest test or 
or uh, you know, so, some sort of support for the broader aviation and airline industry, aerospace industry in Canada. So those that, that, that receive any funding would have to provide additional support to, to the Canadian aerospace industry. Just when, when you look at Voyager MRO business, just do, do you see an opportunity to potentially benefit from, from maybe more Canadian airlines using your services uh, to the extent that they, that they, you know, participate in a, in a sectoral, aid program and, and you know, what, what percentage of, let's say, that business uh, or revenue today, you know, sits with Canadian Airlines? Yeah, uh, you know, a, a lot of the uh, Voyager businesses um, with customers outside of Canada. Um, and, um, you know, the, the thing about it is, is that, you know, all segments, of course, as you know, are not created equal in this pandemic within aviation. Uh, the part that's been most uh, severely hit has been passenger uh, airlines and and leases, etc. So, um, you know, I, I think I can't help but believe that the support will be more along that segment um, because the others, uh, you know, Voyager itself is is doing not bad these days, frankly, um, and uh, and it is somewhat insulated from the passenger side of things. Um, but of course, our CPA is very much influenced. The lease, our third-party leasing, at this point, is all passenger aircraft. So, um, you know, I I don't really know what the government's thinking here with respect to the to the sector. But I think the most immediate need is certainly uh, more in the operating side of uh, aviation within Canada, and I think that's where other governments have been putting support in terms of uh, of the sector, for instance, in the United States, as an example. Okay, that's uh, that's helpful. Um, and then ju- ju- just on uh, core, core aviation capital or your regional aircraft leasing operations, you know, you, you basically have noted that you know most of your customers, if not all of your customers, have asked for some sort of relief. Can you are, are you able to share with us, you know, the breakdown of the type of relief being provided? Let's say, you know, the percentage of customers or aircraft that, that are now under some sort of power by the hour versus just a straight delay in payment that gets, uh, you know, recaptured in, in a future quarter. And I guess what I'm trying to get at is, like, do you need to see, do, do these customers need to see traffic back at pre-pandemic levels before you get a 100% rental recovery rate? Or because I would think it, it could be lower, like as long as there's some, you know, as long as there are they're, they're on sound financial footing. You know, it doesn't matter if they're running 80% of 2019. You know, you, you should you should be seeing 100% of your lease payments. Is, is that the right way to think about it, or, or, or do you need to see them back at 100% of, of pre-pandemic levels before that rental collection rate is at 100%? I think the, uh, the simple answer is with that is it depends on the customer. Um, and you know, we have customers that are in various states. And it depends what's going on within their individual geography and jurisdiction, and um, you know, and what works for one doesn't necessarily work for another. And um, you know, one of the things that we do is we work closely with each of them to work to find a solution that uh, that works. So you're going to have a variety of things there. Uh, you know, we have uh, we have customers that uh, that have there's been no issue with uh, throughout the pandemic. Um, and others that are struggling a lot. So, um, and we don't break it down in that way, Kevin. A lot of it is uh, competitively sensitive, um, I think, uh, because, you know, I think one of the things that we believe is you can actually have a competitive advantage if you're more responsive with your customers and you work to find solutions. And it includes, in some cases, extending leases out, uh, you know, a, a number of years. So it's a little all over the place, to tell you the truth. Okay, that's uh, that's helpful. Uh, and maybe just two, two, two housekeeping questions for me. And Joe, you, you I think in the in, in the in a previous answer, you, you talked about working with Air Canada and finding you know other ways to 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 to, to find you know cost savings um, that could help them mm-hmm. as, as 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 you're their a key partner on the regional air, air, aircraft side. You know, if I look at the CPA pass-through revenue, you know, that was down, you know, 55% year over year, give or take. The, the controllable cost revenue was down was down less than that. 
if I use just you know simple rule of thumb, is that kind of the opportunity that 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 controllable cost revenue, uh, you know, sh should be down, maybe similar to what you saw in, in terms of the pass-through revenue, um, you know, just given how given the lack of flying and 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 if you're able to capture that saving and working with Air Canada, that's kind of a, a bigger yeah. bucket of flow-through in, into into Air Canada. Yeah, the only thing I'd say about that is the pass-through flying is generally uh, costs are generally very directly linked to the amount of flying mm -hmm. you're doing. Um, so, uh, whereas the other controllable costs, uh, you know, where you've got the aircraft facilities, things of that nature, are not directly uh, impacted, and some of those costs continue to exist. So, I don't think you could sh you sh can say that they're should be or there can be a direct relationship or they are at the same level. Uh, I think, uh, you know, we just work with Air Canada on all of the cost buckets and look at how we can improve the efficiency, how, you know, we can help them. And, uh, and it, it relates more to things other than costs uh, in terms of what we do with them in streamlining procedures, uh, processes, helping them work through things and we'll that's what we do yeah i would concur with what joe said i mean there is a, a large fixed component in the controllable cost for facilities and for aircraft and that's what would uh, make the difference that you see there okay that, that helps and, and i apologize i was late on the call but gary if, if you might have given this in your prepared remarks uh have you guided to what 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 we should be thinking about in terms of the, the repayment of long-term debt in uh in 2021 just given a, a number of the amendments to your your, your debt facilities is, is kind of a, a low to mid 30 million a quarter still still the right run rate yeah, I, assuming assuming current levels of flying yeah i think if you just go to the current portion of the debt that'll give you a pretty good idea of what's coming okay, in so the next that. four months and you could you know kind of even that out for the most part okay we can just even that. perfect that, that's it for me thank you very much Again, as a reminder, to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Okay, and we have no further questions. Get up at this time. I'll turn the call back over to Natalie McGann. Thank you very much, operator, and thank you, everyone, for being present on this call. We look forward to speaking with you again soon. Have a great weekend. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.